The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'm here to bring you the stories and issues that matter from communities across Kent. If you have a story you think needs to be told, contact me by email on okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk or you can send me a message to Kent Online's Facebook or Instagram accounts. This week, the significance of the charity sector is being vastly overlooked, according to the Charity Commission. It published a report this week arguing that the significant benefit communities gain from the voluntary sector is often misunderstood and even undermined by people. To discuss the significance of charity in Kent, I'm joined by Josephine McCartney, Chief Executive of the Kent Community Foundation. She tells me how important charities in Kent are and why the county would be on its knees without them. The KM Community Podcast. Josephine, welcome to the KM Community Podcast. Thank you. Um, How important is the charity sector to Kent and Medway? Um, It's extremely important, Oliver. It's um, the backbone, I suppose, of the whole county. Um, Without it, I don't think lots of people would get the support that they really need. So it really is, if we didn't have that, that charity sector, I mean, what, what would the county look like, for example? You know, it's a, we're a huge county. Uh, in your own annual review, you talk about the fact that there's 1.8 million people living here, which is one of the, this, the largest population of all the English counties. Um, and what, what does that mean then if, if we didn't have these charity organisations helping people? So you, although there is quite a significant homeless problem in Kent, you would definitely have more homeless people. Um, you would have more people who are dealing with mental health issues, whether that's um, anxiety to you know being suicidal, who wouldn't have anywhere to turn. Uh, um, you would have children who need support that, w- that just wouldn't get it. Um, a lot of so, so only seven pence in the pound in terms of mental health services goes to children's uh, mental health. So um, there's a huge reliance on the voluntary sector to to be able to support those families and those children. So actually, that's a a big area. Um, You would definitely have more people going hungry because there are are more food banks across the county. So without, um, and those food banks are charities. Um, So without those, um, you would have lots of people who just really wouldn't be able to feed their families. And and that's a a terrible situation for for any county to be in. So, yeah, hugely reliant on the voluntary sector. Because food banks um, have been a a huge story. It's one that that Kent Online and the KM Group have covered a lot over the last few months. Um, It it only seems to be a problem that's that's increasing. Yeah, well, I think it started off really... um, being coming more to the fore because of the universal credit so the change in all of the um you know benefits that families could claim uh, um, and legitimate claimants uh, um, and so what happened was there were quite a few families who were receiving benefits and then because they were under review those benefits stopped and for a lot of those families they didn't actually have any money there wasn't any other money coming in so they were reliant on food banks and the trussell trust are the, the kind of the UK sort of food bank charity. So most of the models in Kent are based on the Trussell Trust model where you actually usually could only go three or four times to the one food bank in order to, because obviously there's only so much food being donated, there's only so much money being donated. So in order to be fair to everyone who could use it, they had to restrict it. And that's terrible as well. The fact that, you know, they actually have to restrict the amount of times you can actually go to a food bank to actually receive food while you're waiting 
for um, the government, and this is not local authority issue. This is a you know this is a government initiative to actually um, figure out what level of benefit you're entitled to. So um, you know so so that's kind of where it started. But then you know lots of people are using food banks. You know police families. <laughs> you know nurses. Um, you know paramedics. You know it's it's not just people who are on benefits that are using food banks. It's people who are um, families where both parents will be working, but their rent is and their overall, you know, sort of monthly outgoings are far outstripping their their income, and they have no choice. So you know that's a that's a huge national issue. It's not just a Kent issue, but that's kind of what's happening, and that's why it's a bit like a perfect storm in a way, where you know rent and house prices are going up, but salaries aren't going up at the same rate, and for people who um, are unable to get a salary increase or get a different job because it's just not that easy. You're kind of stuck in a way and you have to do the best you can. So I, I'm not surprised that there's more food banks. Is that a, a systemic failure then on, on the part of the system? You know, should we have to be relying on the charity sector in 2019? No, no, we shouldn't. But I think it would be unrealistic to say that, you know, I think, so when I worked in a national charity, our objective always would have been um, that we didn't have to exist ultimately, that we everything we were championing um, would be delivered by um, local authorities and by um, you know government. But the reality is that that has never been the case and never will be the case. So um, so I think we're we're always going to be reliant at some level on people's goodwill and the goodwill of the community because charity is your community. That's what it is. Um, I think there is, there's often a bit of a misunderstanding in how the charity sector operates. Can you give our listeners a broad overview of how it all works and, and how the Kent Community Foundation specifically fits into that? Mm. So, um, so so charities are properly governed. So despite um, the bad publicity that lots of the national charities get, uh, um, Charity Commission exists because they do monitor how charities behave. Um, they are reliant on charities and the public to see if they think something is not right so so that they can actually investigate what's going on. But in the main, um, most charities are run by a board of trustees. Those trustees have um, governance uh, um, that they must comply with and they must follow. Now, it's like, it's like any sector, there are good and bad, you know, and there's good and bad governance. But in the main, charities um, are there to are set up purely to help a specific type of person, beneficiaries, whatever that charity exists for. It, ultimately, it's to support those beneficiaries. And trustees are there to ensure that the charity does what it says it's going to do, that, that the money that's coming in is spent where it needs to be spent. Uh, um, and so I think for me, it's it's about giving people reassurance that actually if you do make a donation to a charity, it is going to the organisation and ultimately it is going to the people that they are there to help, to support. And I think that's where a lot of, um, you know, people are unsure often about how charities operate and if they make a donation, will the money actually go directly to the people that they need to support? But the organisational structure has to exist it has to exist because legally we're governed in that way. So you have to have um, a, a body of people who are willing to either volunteer um, or be paid 
So I think the other um, myth that um, I always think is helpful to dispel is the fact that a lot of charity workers are paid because they have mortgages to pay or they have rent to pay and they have families to look after. And so although um, charities right across the country, including Kent, are heavily reliant on volunteers and people's goodwill and you know people give a lot of time to their organisations, um, lots of charity workers are also paid as well. And they have to be. You know, if you take some of the larger charities in Kent, uh, um, you know, so let's take Porchlight, for example. So they're um, hugely significant in the world of um, helping people who are homeless. Um, young people, um, so, you know, maybe somebody who's had to leave home because the mum and dad split up and um, and maybe there's a new relationship and that relationship isn't very healthy for that young person for lots of different reasons um, and they will leave and they have nowhere to go. Uh, um, and they are kind of out of the social care so they're no longer children, maybe, maybe 16, 17 and, they, and then they end up on the streets. Uh, um, and so an organisation like uh, Porchlight are a £10 million organisation a year and quite rightly so because the homeless issue in Kent is significant. <laughs> Uh, um, you wouldn't expect a, um, a group of volunteers to be managing an organisation that's generating £10 million per annum. You just wouldn't. Uh, um, I wouldn't. I would be worried if I gave my money to an organisation that size, with that, you know, with that bigger problem to solve, that it was all being run by volunteers. It's not possible. So I never apologise um, in the fact that some people do get paid to do their job in the voluntary sector. Uh, um, and the way that Kent Community Foundation um, give people that confidence is because we carry out a significant level of due diligence on the charities that apply to us for funding. Uh, um, and we also assess those organisations. We actually go out and visit those organisations as well. So we sit down with whether the person who's leading the service delivery or the chief executive um, and and talk to them face to face and find out exactly what it is they're doing, why they exist and who they're there to help uh, um, so that we can then go back to the people who um, give money through us uh, um, and let them know exactly what's happening with the, the, the money that they're donating. So that's how we fit into that and, and how the voluntary sector sort of operates across the whole country um, and in Kent as well. And you said that um, there is obviously the commission that has oversight on what's happening with yeah. charities and um, i kind of wanted to bring up um this uh, this chief executive of new philanthropy capital who wrote mm -hmm. a paper last week um for those of the listeners that don't know that's a charity think tank um and he said that an independent agency should be created now to drive up standards in the charity sector and um, is that not the job of the commission it is the job of the commission um but there's also other bodies that that um, exists to do that as well. So you have uh, the Institute of Fundraising uh, um, and and that's, um, I have a, an accreditation from the Institute of Fundraising and that's actually really difficult to achieve and that is about the standards in fundraising within the sector. Um, there's also um, various other bodies that exist to support the governance of charities as I was talking about before. So trustees completely understand the role that they have to play and there are lots and lots and lots of um, accountants and solicitors, especially in Kent. So Creston Reeves, which is not that far from here, their head office, um, they, are, they do a lot of free um, courses and um, conferences for charity trustees. So I, I get that, the, that we could always do more. I'm not sure another body 
on top of all the bodies that, are, that currently exist is actually going to make any difference. Maybe, um, maybe uh, tightening up some of the stuff that existing bodies do absolutely right and and obviously charity commission is a government body and and as a dependent from the voluntary sector and the voluntary sector don't pay charity commission to do the work they do that's paid for by the government and that's the reason why it's paid for by the government because they are that independent body uh, um absolutely um we could always be much better than we are so could every sector uh um you know if you really scrutinized it uh, um, who's to say another body wouldn't be better, but I just think maybe we could look more closely at the bodies that already exist and maybe help them to improve the services that they already provide rather than just adding another one on. That would be my view. Because a lot of the time people will then say, you know, there's a real issue with bureaucracy there if you're going to add another service on, yeah. another commission, it's another bit of red tape and it could in theory make charities it make it more difficult for charities to do their jobs well it's not just that ultimately um so director of social change is another uh, um large organization there and and institute of fundraising they are actually paid for by the charity sector so sometimes these bodies you know the point is who's going to pay for a new body so if it's um you know the um, office for civil society which is which is a government body uh, um, and um, Charity Commission, which is a government body, and then the other ones that exist are paid for by charities. So if you had another body, that would be a burden on the on the sector itself, um, I believe. Uh, um, or if you were expecting it to be independently funded, that would be great, but you would then need to find the funders, and maybe that's that's what the research is saying, that... There are independent people, there are philanthropists, so wealthy individuals who feel that there is an additional layer required. Um, and that's fine if they are happy and willing to pay for a body like that, then great. <laughs> Cough up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are some of the, obviously, the Kent Community Foundation supports a lot of charities we across do. the county. What are some of the, the ones that are, that are core focuses for you as an organisation? Um, so, so just in context and all of others, um, over 3,000 registered charities in Kent. Uh, um, and that doesn't include some of the private schools who are registered charities um, and faith organisations as well, which is not part of that 3,000, plus all the hundreds and hundreds of groups that exist there are local groups who choose not to be a registered charity. So so that's not quite the true picture, but even that is a huge number in itself. And people think about, oh, 3,000 charities to cover 1.8 million people across 13 districts, including Medway, for Kent and Medway. That's quite a, yeah, that's quite a big number. Uh, um, I think I've already mentioned um, homelessness as a, as, a, as a big factor, and that's where significant amount of money is invested but also elderly and isolated so um, you know obviously we have coastal towns um, and obviously we have a lot of rural communities that's what Kent is it's rural and coastal uh, um, and and a lot of people who live in those towns and those coastal towns and rural communities are elderly and often they're isolated so we will support projects that are looking after those as we call them vulnerable people um, but for us, um, the, the so we receive, last year it was um, over a thousand, it was actually almost 1500 applications that we received for funding. About 60% of those were children, families and young people. And that's because that's representative of the sector. So there are more charities supporting children and families and young people than there are any other parts of society. 
in the voluntary sector. So that's, that's how it's how it sort of looks. So so that um, in itself dictates really the types of organisations we are more likely to support. But as I mentioned, um, there's food banks as well, and there's mental health. And I could go on and on and on and on about the the the, the types of organisations. But but in the main. Um, the majority of applications that we receive are for children, families and young people and that's for lots of different things including, um, so it used to be a, a government uh, scheme called Sure Start which no longer exists and that's now Home Start and Home Start is voluntary and some of that money, you know, some of those charities um, receive some money from Kent County Council and from Medway Council because they do value what's being delivered um, but that used to be wholly uh, um, a local authority requirement it's not anymore that was cut through austerity it was it? it was so th- there's a kind of example of what happens when things are cut you know humans um, will naturally fill a gap because that's what humans do so um so home start grew up from the fact that you had no longer had a sure start so inevitably something was going to replace it and the voluntary sector again stepped up to to fill that gap do you ever um, feel conflicted? Well, you, you have to work alongside many of these organisations, government infrastructures, um, which by by the looks of it need the involvement of the charity sector and they're not arguably doing enough to support vulnerable people. So does it ever feel like a, a bit of a precarious situation for you? No, um, I think it's important for, for me as chief executive of one of the largest grant makers in Kent to understand where we fit in the scheme of things. Uh, um, and so earlier on this week, um, I met with one of the head commissioners at Kent County Council and then one of the children's commissioners at Kent County Council and then on the NHS side, the head of commissioning on the CCG side. And for me, that's about understanding where it all fits together. Um, where do the local authorities see their priority, which is often driven by, by government? So, you know, a lot of the objectives that, that they are delivering are are dictated by Westminster and then the funding trickles down and that's how all local authorities work. And then you have your district councils again. So, you know, by the time it gets to district council level, they're really restricted in what they can actually achieve. So so for me, I, I'm never conflicted. I, I always believe that you have to seek to understand before you can be understood yourself. So my job is to figure out what actually is going on in the county um, and and where we add value. So not just Kent Community Foundation, but where does the voluntary sector add value to everything that is actually that the KCC are trying to do. So if you take the... So Kent County Council give away um, £12.7 million pounds in the 16-17, because that's the, the most recent figure. So £12.7 million pound in grants to the voluntary sector. The private sector uh, um, within Kent um, is... is is about roughly the same. And then you have a significant amount of money that comes from government bodies. So Heritage Lottery, Sports England, Arts Council, you know, big lottery. Um, in total, that's about £70 million. So there's about £70 million coming in to Kent roughly every year. The figures don't change that much. Uh, um, and Kent County Council are £12.7 million of that. And that's fine. You know, um, of course, everybody would like to see local authorities giving more money to charity, but they they have lots and lots and lots of priorities, um, and they have to think about uh, um, where do they invest their money that they get the biggest bang for their buck 
and the way that, that any business operates. Um, and so they spend a, a significant amount of time actually trying to figure that out, trying to do what's right for the, the, the county. And of course they're going to get it wrong. Of course they get it wrong. You know, it's, that, that's just that, that's just human nature. But they try not to, and they actually do do a lot of research to try and figure that sort of stuff out by talking to the voluntary sector and people like us who kind of have a bigger picture of what's going on. And it's all about that collaboration, making it, sure you're having conversations. It, it, exactly that, yeah. So, so no, I'm I'm never conflicted. I, I think everybody ultimately, I think if you if, as a human being, if you if if you come from a position of um, people in the main do their job with the best intentions then you can actually usually work work your way through it rather than putting the barrier up right away or being defensive about you know how, how you should work together I think that's the best approach and then you actually will achieve something and you talk about um having conversations with the kent county council mm. obviously uh, the last few weeks we had the news that paul carter was stepping down as leader um uh, to fo- go and focus on other things and it was my understanding that he understood quite well the the position of the charity sector um, what happens if the new leader doesn't? Um, well, what I I don't know who the new leader is going to be, but what I do know is that at the moment there is a new strategic plan, a new three-year strategic plan, which is is actually already been approved, uh, um, and that plan is about um, how Kent County Council and and district uh, councils engage with the voluntary sector. Uh, um, and actually moving away from some grants to um, to delivering contracts. And the reason they're doing that is because um, they are under extreme pressure from their constituents to ensure that um, every penny is used effectively. And, and if you are on a contract um, basis, then there are more monitors and measures in place, basically. Uh, um, and what they are trying to do at the moment, what Kent County Council are trying to do at the moment, is to make that process as easy as possible for the voluntary sector to engage with, uh, um, which isn't easy. You know, it isn't easy. There, there have been, there's been lots of um, controversy around contracts and commissioning work in the past from from Kent County Council, and they know that. You know, they're not shying away from any of that. They recognise that they, they could do things much better. And that's what this three-year plan is. So irrespective of who the new leader is, that plan is already in place and it's going to be enforced. Um, and we'll do, and, and all the other um, infrastructure organisations that exist across Kent will do their best to engage the voluntary sector to make sure that they have a fair say and they are engaged properly in that whole new process. So that, that's the idea. Uh, and one last question from from me, Josephine. If there are people out there who want to do something for their community, they want to uh, help out a local um, a local group of people, a local community, anything like that. How can they go about that? Are they able to contact you and apply? How how does that whole process work? Well, there's there's two processes. There's the volunteer bureaus, which exist across Kent, and you can find them online. So there's, you know, it's a volunteer bureau. So and, and wherever your geography is, there will be one somewhere uh, local to you. And so if you're wanting to actually volunteer your time, then go to the volunteer bureaus and they're excellent at being able to identify and match up 
Um, and obviously the KM have their own volunteering website now as well. So um, so you can go on to KM and you'll find the volunteering website through the KM charity. So you can do that as well. So that, that's two ways in terms of volunteering. Um, if you want to apply for funding and you're a charity or you're involved with a charity, then you can apply to us, which is kentcf.org.uk if you want to apply for funding. Um, and if you want to make a donation to a charity, but you're not sure and you want to do that locally, then you can donate through us as well. Um, we fund organisations, so last year, 622 across 13 districts across Kent and Medway, and we funded in every single district. Uh, um, some more than others, because some areas are more deprived than others. But um, So if you if you want to apply for funding, um, kentcf.org.uk, if you want to make a donation, same website. If you want to volunteer, volunteer bureaus. Um, or go onto the KM website, KM Charity website, and there's a volunteering website there as well. So lots of ways in which you can engage. Um, you just need to know how to find them. But hopefully that's helpful. Josephine, thank you very much. Thank you. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.